It's Friday, time for another Sourced Podcast Week in Review, episode 106. My name is Michael Crutcher, Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hello, Michael. How's jet lag week two? I'm all good. Uh, I was okay when I got back. Um, there were no sort of late uh, rallies that came to get you a couple of days later? You um, No, not too bad. I think Michael's pointing at a particular day this week that I crawled in a little bit later oh, than usual. Right. <laughs> no, I wasn't even meaning that, but <laughs> that's right. Um, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, no, I've been okay. Shannon's back to normal now too, so we're all back into the normal swing of oh, things. Very good to hear. Yes. Doesn't take long for young people. No, no, it doesn't. Now, it's been a big week, of course, and, of course, the biggest story of the week, and it remains the biggest story, has been the conflict between Hamas and Israeli forces mm. and you know some devastating stories coming out of that particular part of the world. And it's brought out the debate again about the role that social media plays in all of this because there's been a lot of stuff on social media coming out of that part of the world, some really confronting scenes. But mm. it's not the first time we've had a look at some of these things and had that debate about a major breaking news story and social media. But it is the first time we've done this since Twitter's been replaced by X under the ownership of Elon Musk. So... We know that social media is a go-to for people who want news and information on this conflict, and we know it's unreliable. But how unreliable has it been in the past week, which is what we're looking at today, of course, being the week in review. Now, interesting story by Associated Press in the US. Now, they're a reputable partisan reporting institution in the US. Mm-hmm. They wrote a piece this week, and I quote from it, the Israel-Hamas war has underscored how the platform now transformed into X has become not only unreliable but is actively promoting falsehoods. Yep. It's a pretty big call from AP. But then it goes on to prosecute the argument while not leaving out the likes of TikTok and Facebook from the analysis. AP says, uh, among the fabrications this week on social media are false claims that a top Israeli commander was kidnapped, a doctored White House memo purporting to show the US president announcing billions in aid for Israel, and old unrelated videos of Russian President Vladimir Putin with inaccurate English captions. Even a clip from a video game was passed on as footage from the conflict. So this is the sort of stuff that's being put out there and it's getting a fairly big run from people who don't realise that it's actually not right. Now... The AP article quotes Ian Bremer, Mm -hmm. who they describe as a prominent foreign policy expert. He says that the level of disinformation on this Israel-Hamas situation being, in his words, algorithmically promoted on (laughs) Twitter X, I got that out, is unlike anything I've ever been exposed to in my career as a political scientist. Now, he wasn't the only one, Jordan, because the European Union has also weighed in. Yeah, so you alluded to it, so Elon's platform X has been warned for allegedly hosting this disinformation about that Hamas-Israel conflict, which obviously includes those manipulated images and misleading information. I did actually see that video clip of the video game. Yeah, right. Um, I didn't yep. think it was all that convincing. Yeah, but... <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I saw last night that was 
you know, looked really convincing was the Sphere, mm. you know, the unbelievable new entertainment venue in Las Vegas, oh, which yeah. is yeah, just yeah. one massive big uh, dome with a computer screen. That's a, a video screen. And it had the Israeli flag going across it. Okay. It looked like it was, you know, the Sphere giving support to uh, Israel. Now, the Sphere very quickly came out and said, this is not real. Wow, okay. So really quickly. But if you didn't see the Sphere there, given all the stuff that's been on social media for the Sphere, you go, oh, okay, there true, you go. But true. they were very quickly onto that, so yeah. Okay, I didn't see that one. Um, but back to X, so pretty much if, if these issues aren't addressed and that platform can face some pretty hefty fines or it's been, uh, been said that it'll be blocked in all European Union yep. countries. So the European Union is flexing its muscle a fair bit as part of its new regulations against content it deems illegal. And so the regulations state that illegal content must be removed within 24 hours. Otherwise, the platform faces serious consequences. Yep. Now, Elon, in typical Elon Musk fashion... He's been vocal still this week, hasn't he? He's super chirpy. Uh, He's responded, he's asked the EU to very clearly outline every single instance where the content is in question. Yeah, he was like this sort of really confident schoolboy having a crack back at the teacher. Yeah, real cocky. Um, So I'm just interested to see how this unfolds because the EU has established a pretty good reputation for holding social media platforms accountable. The EU in the past has written to TikTok, Google and Facebook um, to ensure that its European users are safe online and particularly, you know, we had the famous one, the Cambridge Analytica, which they wrote to Facebook about. So I do think social media has a responsibility to actively monitor and moderate this content that is and probably could be harmful to users. Um, In this latest case with X, if we get to a stage where X is blocked in all these European countries, that will set some pretty new precedent, I reckon, for social media platforms and possibly influence some stricter regulations for other countries. Yeah, I think one of the reasons we look at X in this situation is because with verified users on X, Twitter, they can make money out of high traffic. Yeah. So as we always say on this podcast, follow the money, it's the answer to most of your questions. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a problem for Twitter because it can't shake the fact that that model exists. So you get the traffic cranking, you can financially benefit from that. Absolutely. Now, there's a sense that TikTok is just as unreliable as Twitter when it comes to sketchy information. Yes, yes, yes. Now, some experts argue that everyone knows that TikTok is dodgy anyway as a news source, so what's the harm? I'm just not so sure about that because there's a whole lot of younger users on TikTok who don't have a news filter. So they see stuff and they think it's right. So I don't really buy that whole thing about, well, TikTok's sketchy anyway. Now, we know that Facebook is trying to really crush news posts. We've discussed that multiple weeks on on the podcast. Yep. And there's an automatic algorithm demotion process for posts that are labelled as incorrect. They then go through to fact-checkers who can take whatever amount of time to yeah. get through. So, well, so yeah. that's interesting from Facebook slash Meta because it's bought itself a bit of a cushioning there on that one. Now, the answer to all of this is simply to say, it's simple to say, but it's harder to execute. Now, the simple part is people have to be wary. That's the simple thing. So you say, hey, look, if you're using social media, you've got to be wary. Um but that's not always easy to do. No. You know, we see things and think that looks right, but you know. Now 
and people can usually rely on mainstream media to be their fact checkers. And this mm-hmm. is when mainstream media can really set itself apart from social media with the veracity that it's supposed to have checking facts. But we know that not all mainstream media does this well. The race to be first rather than right. Yes. Seems to be the most important factor. It is. Some news outlets. Because we know that there is that adage that goes around online news outlets. When it comes to online news, you're never wrong for long. That's it. So not like a newspaper where you're wrong forever. You're wrong forever, that's it. Never wrong for long online. So unfortunately, social media as a news breaker is a permanent thing. That's fine. We've seen some good things. Let's not forget there have been some really good things that social media has done in this space over the years. Mm-hmm. So there have been some good things. But there has been also some things like we've seen this week. We'll continue to see those things. So we're going to keep having this conversation. So let's see what the likes of the EU and others do as time goes on. But when it comes to a bit of misinformation as well, Jordan, podcasts are being looped into this. And we haven't heard this before, but a very interesting piece that uh, came out this week in the um, the semaphore yes. email. Yeah, yeah, the semaphore email. So like in the industry, there are shady parts where you know, there's people or businesses that are offering shortcuts to quick success or to sort of embellish the, yes. uh, embellish a bit. And this week, Semaphore took a look at how that's happening in podcasting. It was a really interesting story. Yeah, I had not even thought about this, but mm. yeah. So the article references a podcast host named PJ who explains how he was approached by iBoost Reach to artificially boost his podcast downloads. And the company doesn't specify its methods, of course. Yes. But it promises that it will shoot your show to the top of the charts. Are we using one of these things? No, we're not. Okay. No, we're doing the organic approach. Uh, <laughs> as is PJ. So while he was a bit tempted, he um, ultimately opted for that organic reach because his obligation to advertise has required him to achieve an organic download, produce organic download numbers. Yes, right. But companies like iBoost Reach are symptomatic of a larger issue in the podcasting industry, and that is the manipulation of audience metrics. And that's the overarching theme of this yeah. article. So this shortcut approach to podcasting is becoming increasingly common as the podcasting industry grows in popularity and commercial value. Yep. So companies like iBoost Reach have created an industry that capitalises on the desperation or ambition of podcasters, promoting inflated download stats through unspecified methods. Yeah, um, Even these major publishers like the New York Post and iHeartMedia have been reported to have engaged in tactics that artificially inflate their podcast okay. numbers too. Um, so this practice puts advertisers in a pretty difficult position, yeah, obviously, because they rely on these metrics for their return on yeah. investment. It's prompted companies like Libsyn to begin educating agents within these companies on how to spot these fraudulent activities. It's also signaling the need for some ethical guidelines around metrics to help balance the industry's rapid growth. So currently there's nothing specific around ethics for podcasts and the metrics. So it's a bit of interesting read that one. I'd never really thought about it like that. I know it exists in music for sure. You can buy promotional things to pump up your Spotify or... Or anything like that. So I suppose it's um, it's not too hard to imagine it happening in podcasts as well. Oh, of course, and mm. like we always see with governments, we say governments bring the regulation in, you know, late, which of course they always do. But also, this is not a government thing. This, this is more of an industry it. expectation That's around right. it. So of course these things happen. Mm. I'd never put my mind to this part of it, but yeah, it's uh, it's very believable. It's a good piece from the Semaphore guys uh, and. 
As we said before, S-E-M-A-F-O-R. Yep, that's it. That's the spelling. Now, speaking of metrics and targets, a really interesting piece this week. The Washington Post announced it would be offering redundancies to 240 staff. Yeah, so I didn't two, see this one. Yeah, 240 staff. That is a that's a big chunk of redundancies. Yeah. Um, roughly two and a half thousand people at the company now. So looking at you know close to ten percent going there from the post. Now the interim CEO of, of the post in an email said that the brand's subscription traffic and advertising projections had been in their words overly optimistic. Yeah. So, the interim CEO went on to say, our prior projections for traffic, subscriptions and advertising for the past two years and into 2024 haven't quite met their targets. The urgent need to invest in our top growth priorities brought us to the difficult conclusion that we need to adjust our cost structure now. So, where does this sort of leave mainstream media at the moment? Well, the New York Times had reported recently that the Post was on track to lose about $100 million this year. Ouch. That'll, that'll knock the wind out Isn't of you. Isn't Bezos around. involved with the Post? Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is one really interesting thing. Um, the Guardian reports that this year alone uh, in the US, uh, NPR, Vox Media mm-hmm. have had significant cuts. Gannett, CNN, the LA Times and BuzzFeed, big cuts as well. Yep. Gorka and BuzzFeed close. Yes. Now... When you mention Bezos, that's really interesting with that because when Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, came in and bought the Washington Post yeah. a few years ago, to me, and I think we've probably discussed this before on the podcast, Bezos coming into this space was going to be really interesting. And he came in 10 years ago to a 2013. Okay. So in 2013, he paid $250 million for the Washington Post. Okay. So when he came in, we sort of thought, well, this is going to be really interesting because a guy who clearly has been very, very successful in the online space, mm. what can he do? What can perspective can he bring yeah. to this? Yeah. But it hasn't quite worked out for the Washington Post at this stage. How they turn it around, I don't know. But mm. these sort of things aren't just things that happen in the US. Australian media proprietors will be seeing this stuff and the same thing is happening here from what I hear from, from my contacts still in the industry. These are really tough times. Oh, absolutely. And that's when we talk about the need to differentiate with from social media and that the thing that news outlets have is veracity and they have um, curation. Yeah. So, yep. so really uh, that news this week would have knocked – the wind out of some Australian media publications, I'm sure. Now, on the other hand, and Jordan, we've mentioned Joe Aston many times in recent yes, we have weeks. His work at the Financial Review, his podcast, his uh, rear window column, which has become the must read in recent years, or not just recent years, for some time now. And of course, being so involved in what happened with Qantas. Now, he, Aston has reinvented the Daily Newspaper column. Today, Jordan, though, was his final column. He's leaving the yes. Financial Review. Yeah. And it is a ripper column. It's quite long, isn't it? It is a very lengthy column. I was told to read that in minutes before we started <laughs> this. And it's, a, well, it's, it's well a, over a thousand words. It's, it's a long piece. It's, it's friggin' long. Um, and there's some great <laughs> lessons in it. I just want to read some chunks of it because, as we said, 
what Rhea Window has done, and it ties in with this Washington Post piece because Rhea Window has become such a must-read. I mean, it's worth the price of the paper alone in many ways, which is – I didn't know this. It's $5 for the print paper each day. Is it really? Five $5? $5. Yeah. It's quite steep. So we're obviously subscribers online. We don't pay 5 bucks a day. But, $5. Um, I yeah. remember being sent down the corner shop on a Sunday morning because mum and dad didn't want to move. They had like <laughs> – Gold coin and a silver one, and we were down to get the paper and their coffees. That's it. Yeah, not anymore. No, it's a pink note. But Aston has sent some in his final column. I mean, Aston really took business figures on, and he writes some things that a lot of journalists should read. Um, he says it was ultimately my choice not to be the good guy, and so yeah, I'm often met with hostility when I walk into a room. Whatever. The social favour of these people is mostly worthless. You can't be a good journalist if you need to be loved, at least in an interpersonal sense. All you've got in the end is your family and your health, and I'm now blessed with both. That is something that journalists, you think, would take for granted. You're not there to be loved, Mm. but a lot don't do that. Now, he goes on to write, There's no way I could have done this for more than a decade, perpetuating the ridiculous oxymoron of the business celebrity. In these names and faces, there was a whole other story staring me right in the face. This was a wealth without work crew. The real reward was the belly laughs I got to share with readers as again and again we denuded the most fantastic pretenders in the nation. And frankly, who wouldn't want to laugh at Alan Joyce, the man with the enchanted spectacles, or barking mad Andrew Forrest, hanging on by a thread, or that cartoonish, self-declared, miserable bastard, Jerry Harvey. It's a target-rich <laughs> environment. The higher they rise, oh, the less tethered they are. And when the self-delusion takes over, along come the wild flights of fantasy. I've seen it again and again. Now, one thing we often said about this too, Jordan, was um, newspapers aren't travelling really well, or media outlets, when it comes to getting advertising revenue. Yeah. And so you know that there are some things that some newspapers won't say. Now, not Joe Aston and the Finn Review, and we often would talk about to say, wow, that's, uh, that's having a real crack yeah, there. Yeah, a bit on the nose, yeah, yeah. He writes, this is really interesting. He writes, I was granted genuine, often excruciating independence. I remember toweling up Domino's Pizza over its fanciful growth targets while the largest shareholder in Domino's was a member of the Fairfax Media Board, which owned right. the Fin Review at yeah, the time. Yeah. My longtime nemesis, Jerry Harvey, was one of Fairfax's and now Nine Entertainment's largest advertisers. To his and Katie Page's enormous credit, they didn't chuck Alan Joy-style tantrums. They pretty much copped it sweet. Above anything else, and this is what I really like about this piece, it's always been about the readers, which I'll throw this bit in. A lot of journalists just forget that completely. Yeah. Too many journalists do. I go back to Joe Aston here. My prize was colluding with the readers, asking, do you see what I see? As together we waded through the daily barrage of hopeless, ridiculous, turgid, untrue spin in a money-go-round system where everyone else is enfranchised to play along. My column only ever succeeded because there is a critical mass of Australians who want this job to be done, who want the craven opportunism, greed, hubris, hypocrisy, and plain absence absurdity of Australian business and politics exposed. Please stay hungry for that and continue to support journalism that uncovers it. What a sign-off. Great piece. It's a very good piece. It's interesting to look at um, his line about 
how you can't be a good journalist if you need to be loved. It's uh, it's bizarre because I perceive, or a lot of people perceive that journalism is based on all your relationships and your ability to have the conversations. But I suppose that's among journalists and then... Yeah, it is. And that, that the best journalists can maintain their contacts, but sometimes rough them up when they have to. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's part of the skill. It's a highly skilled profession done well and Aston yeah. has done it ridiculously well. Um, Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. He's in the Weekend Review because this is interesting. I do. I have some exciting, potentially exciting news for the Seinfeld fans, of which I am one. Uh, At a recent stand-up gig in Boston, Jerry Seinfeld dropped some hints about a possible Seinfeld reunion. Mm. So he was chatting with fans at the end of the show, answering some questions, and he cheekily mentioned having a little secret, as he said about the controversial ending that didn't spill, but didn't spill any beans. So, yeah, so this is the ending, the yeah, ending the, of the whole series. Yes. So he did tease and he said, something's going to happen with that ending and let slip that him and Larry David might be on the same page as the fans about it. And yeah. if you look back, that finale was met with controversy because some fans just didn't feel like it was big enough and to which Jerry says, oh, big in comedy often isn't so great. Um, so I quietly hope we see a reunion, though. If uh, if Frasier can get a comeback, surely Seinfeld can. It's a great point. I mean, I love Seinfeld. Goodness knows how many times I've watched individual shows, but I've barely watched the, reu- the finale. Yeah. I, 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 I can say the same. I've not watched it. I, I think watched I watched it, it once. Yeah, I watched it sort of maybe twice, but, I mean, there's obviously the sadness of the show ending. True. But I would be fascinated if it they came back because they've resisted it for so long. Mm. I'd, love, I'd love to see some sort of... Um, extra uh, show to wind it up. There was, of course, a Super Bowl ad a couple of years ago where Jerry and George sit at uh, what looks like Monks and it's about Jerry wanted to go to a Super Bowl party with friends but they didn't want George to go there. Right. So have you seen that one? No, I've not seen it's that. It's on just YouTube. It, uh, it goes for about a minute. Okay. And a bit, and they talk about the uh, and Newman makes a guest appearance too. Right. So Newman that's the good. best we'll ever see in terms of modern day Seinfeld was because it was based on their characters for like a minute. Yeah. Right. And I, it was quite. I'm interested to see if Kramer makes an appearance in it because obviously he had that for many many years ago that bizarre outburst yeah. during a comedy show. I don't know if at that point cancelling was a thing and he got cancelled because of it, but. I don't know where he's at now, but he so was always a favourite. If you on want, the show. go and watch uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. Jerry Seinfeld's show on Netflix. Oh yeah, I've seen that. He does an episode with uh, Michael Richards, Kramer, and Excellent. they mention that topic. Okay, good. I'll it's have to wor- do it's that. worth checking out. It's quite good. Okay. Now, Google search trends for this weekend. We're not doing the magazines today, Stephen Green. You <laughs> can check them out yourself, Greeny. Uh, now. The big one this week, the Google search trends this week, we sort of break these down into Google's own stats, searches of 20,000 plus, 50,000 plus, 100K plus, and this one, 500K plus. The biggest Google search trend in Australia this week is the death of comedian Cal Wilson with a massive 500,000K searches on Wednesday. Big numbers, that surprises me because she is prominent, like she's a a notable figure, but... I just that famous like that's an enormous amount of uh, reach. Yeah, I'm not surprised because uh, in my background in media, I've always seen the celebrity death and mm. uh, the interest in it, and 
very sad story for Kay Wilson in her 50s, yeah, really aggressive sudden. form of cancer. Uh, uh, some of her closest friends didn't know that she was oh God. ill as she was. So a bit of an interest in that. It's a very sad story. But the celebrity death does huge business. Mm. So um, that was number one this week, the death of Kay Wilson. Very sad. Number two, that was 500,000 plus. Number two, Jordan. We had South Africa versus Australia. I'm guessing that is the rugby. World Cup cricket last night. World Cup cricket? 100,000. how much I'm paying attention. Well, you're lucky you missed nothing. It was not a good night for yeah, Australia. I heard Eddie Jones is gone, is he? Oh, that's a, that's that's a, a whole other story, that one. that We could do 20 <laughs> minutes on that easily. Um, so Australia 0-2 in God. the World Cup so far in the cricket, but it does go to show you the interest levels. Okay. Interesting here... A third one this week from Sunday, 50,000 plus uh, Palestine, Israel. It just hasn't got up there this week on Google. Yeah. It hasn't got up there at Even all. Even today, so. it's not up there. It's no. down the bottom. So that was Sunday. And then, Jordan, we had four, um, four 20,000 plus ones. Yeah, we had Arsenal, Man City, India versus Australia. Clayton Oliver and Where to Vote. Where to Vote also appeared in today, obviously, with the vote tomorrow. Yeah. But, um, Clayton yeah. Oliver, Melbourne AFL player um, who was hospitalised after an end of season um, event where he apparently got ill. So all oh. sorts of rumours swirling around there. So yeah. that, that one's up there, 20,000. So now tomorrow is uh, referendum voting day. Among it is. Other things. How's the weekend looking for you? Uh, pretty quiet. Pretty quiet. I think um, it'll just be the vote tomorrow morning or whatever else. And then, yep. yeah, just um, I'll go... Help out uh, family, do bits and pieces around the house and yeah, see the brothers. and Yeah, because Hamish is back now from Mackay. Oh, of course, He yes. did the 13-hour uh, drive. Back in town. Yeah, yeah, he's back in town, oh. so we'll probably catch up with him. Very good. And happy birthday, Steggy. Oh, Steg. Steg, big birthday for Steg. You're oh. not quite a big next year's a massive birthday for Steg. Is it? So this year, uh, close to a massive one. Excellent. Happy birthday, Steg. Have a great weekend. You too.